Welcome to Meaningful Journeys, a podcast about pilgrimage. I'm Dr. Heather Warfield, and I am passionate about connecting humanity through our shared quests for meaning. In this podcast, I'll be talking with pilgrims and pilgrimage scholars. I will have conversations with people impacted by both ancient and contemporary pilgrimage journeys, and we will also hear from people who live at these sacred sites. This program is supported in part by Antioch University New England and the Meaningful Life Institute. Today I am speaking with so- Sophie Amaros, who has translated her mother's book, Between the Lines in Search of Isabel, uh, from French into English. In fact, the whole family has been involved in this, this book project, uh, Nadine uh, Amaros is the, the first author in French, and Jean-Paul Amaros translated the book uh, from, from French to German and also helped with the English translation, and Sophie is their daughter um, and has worked primarily on the English translation. Uh, the book, as I mentioned, has been published in English, French, and German, and we'll start the episode with a summary of the book. Sure, sure. Um, so this book, Between the Line, is the story of Charles, as told by himself in his writings uh, um, that he wrote uh, you know, by the end of, of, of his life. Um, he was um, 17 years old when he was incorporated into the German army as a Nazassian Laurent, which means he was uh, uh, he lived in the region of Lorraine, and both Alsace and Lorraine were um, regions that were annexed by the um, uh, Prussian Empire in 1871. And so, uh, in 1914, war broke out between France and Germany, and um, all those uh, Alsacian Laurent who you know were not ever really Germans but had to suddenly become uh, fighters against the, the French population. And Charles um, started uh, fighting in the war in 1917. And this story, his history in the battlefield, but also um, on the outpost, because he many times he was stationed in the city of Long. And um, he that's when he, he writes in the book that that's when he was allowed to sort of become this peaceful soldier because he he could put down the weapon and, and be and try to do the best that he could to help the, the French population that was occupied by the German army as much as he could being a, a German, well, being part of the German army. And um, so that's the story of a young man who's in a war that he doesn't think has really any meaning. And um, it's also the story of a young man who meets a young woman and she's his first love and she's French. And so of course that love story is not um, you know, quite possible in the context of the war, but um, they they become friends and she, she tries to help him and she's a big comfort throughout this this period where he has to go back and forth between law and the, and the, the battlefield. and. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful love story wrapped up in a wolf story. And also your your parents' search to find out more about their own journey to find about mm-hmm. to, to find uh, about the, the the actual events and places that Charles was in and also to find out if Isabel was a real person. Yes. Um, so when my parents finished writing the book, um, 
they decided to go to Lens, so the city where Charles was stationed away from the front and where he met Isabel. And um, initially, they just wanted to walk into Charles' um, footsteps and see if the city still had places that uh, existed and that they could match with the book. And once they got there, they realized that so much of the city is still unchanged and uh, looks the way it looked back then when Charles lived there. And they met a lot of people there who had read the book and who asked them about Isabel, who wanted to know what happened to her and between her and Charles after the war. And that's also when they learned about the archives of Long and all the records that are still kept there about that, that time period. And so that's when they decided to investigate further. They found um, a population census from 1916 uh, in the archives. Uh, of everyone who lived in, in law at the time, and they found four Isabel. And based on the age and the addresses, they were able to, they were able to, to match one with um, Isabel. They thought that, that that must have been Isabel from the book. And from there, they did a lot more research. They consulted um, genealogy websites, and they were able to find Isabel's family tree and her nephew, who was um, 92 years old at the time, and then they contacted him, they met him and his wife, and um, he was able to confirm that she was uh, indeed uh, our Isabel based on the knowledge that he had of her and her family. And uh, her nephew, she, he also learned a lot about her because she had never really talked about that period and the war with her family. So, so yeah, that was uh, interesting. I'd love to hear the story about how you discovered your your grandfather's great-grandfather's or how your mother discovered her grandfather's writings from the first world war yeah so first of all thank, thank you so much for having me on, on the podcast it's a yeah it's a pleasure to to speak with you and um to answer your question um so charles initial memoirs were lost and found a couple of times throughout the years uh, before the book uh, between the lines was eventually published um, so, for, first of all, when my mother was a little girl, uh, she knew that her grandfather, Charles, uh, was writing about his experience in the war, uh, but he never showed her the pages to her or to, to anyone. He was quite private about that. And then towards the end of his life, before his death in 1977, uh, Charles became ill, he was confused, he was losing his memories, and he was haunted by this idea that um, the German, German Imperial Army um, was coming back to invade France. So he started throwing away um, a lot of objects related to the war, uh, books, pictures, and his memoir. And uh, my mom and her sister, and they found it one day in the trash can, uh, and so they rescued it, um, and they hid it somewhere else in, in the house. And that was that. And then the next time that they saw the pages was many years later, in 1993, when, the, when um, yeah, the, the, my grandmother, my mother's mother, was moving out of the house and they found it in a drawer. Uh, and then it's only years later that uh, my mother would finally decide to publish them. But I think we'll go back to that later. So. I, I should have also mentioned at the beginning um, that yeah, that you are joining today uh, because of of being a fluent English speaker, and so some of the the questions that I have will be um, about your mother's experiences. So it's 
it's knowledge that you've gained from her um, and and so not firsthand uh, because you did not know your grandfather did you or no, great grandfather no. yeah because no, he, he passed away in 1977 yeah he passed away when my mother was 12 years old yes uh, so from talking to your mother, um, especially around writing the book, I can imagine that a lot of, of her memories were, um, were brought to the forefront um, that she may have, have had of, of when she was a little girl. Can, did she talk about those memories and what were they? Yes, she, she's talked about him with me many times and, and we'll talk about that later, but uh, of course I, I didn't didn't have you know the whole picture of who he was but um my mother and her sister they had uh, a really close relationship with their grandparents because they lived with them in the same house with their mother during their whole childhood uh, like i said my um, my mother was 12 years old when charles died so she has a lot of memories with him uh, he helped raise her he was a big figure in her life and um, the way she talks about him he was a, a very warm man family man he loved spending time with his children with his grandchildren he loved celebrating christmases and birthdays and he loved singing uh, which is in the book there's many instances when he's, he he likes to sing and um for most of his life he owned a bakery first in the city of Metz in, in Lorraine right after the war he opened the bakery with his sister who had lost her husband in the war and her husband actually fought on the, the French side while Charles fought on the German side. And uh, later on, Charles got married around 1935. Uh, he had three children with his wife, uh, Germaine, and he opened a, a new bakery uh, on his own in, in Montreux-les-Messes. And that's where he lived for the rest of his life. And when my mom lived with, with him above the, the bakery shop until he died. Did he teach her any of the songs that, that, uh, that, that he sang in the book? I think, yeah, I think he, he, she probably remembers some of them, but uh, she, yeah, some of the songs, the, the, the old song. I don't think she ever sung, sang any of them. <laughs> <laughs> One of the interesting uh, parts of this book or, or the context for this book that really uh, drew me to the book in the first place, and also what I learned a lot about um, as a result of, learn, uh, of reading the book, um, is the area of France called Alsace-Lorraine. And for listeners who may be unaware or not familiar with this area of France, can you share a bit of the history of the area and also how your, how your great-grandfather fit into this history? Hmm. So Alsace and Lorraine, there are two regions of France on the east of France, and they have been the battlegrounds of many of the wars between France and the German Empire, and the Prussian Empire and then Germany. Um, and in 1870, war broke out between France and the Prussian Empire, uh, which corresponds to Germany today, and uh, France lost in 1871. And those two regions of Alsace and Lorraine were annexed by the Prussian Empire. So the population that lived there uh, was integrated into, into the empire without ever really becoming uh, Germans. And, and Charles was born in 1898, so about 30 years after, after that. And um, uh, yeah, so it, it's, uh, it was a complex situation for the population there because they, for, for many of them, when 
World War One broke out. And many of them were used to be French. They they remember the time when they, they lived in France and they were longing to to go back to France. And uh, in, in the you know the French um, popular culture, uh, uh, Alsace and Lorraine are two regions that uh, you know were the the battlegrounds in World War One and in World War Two. And there was this. Um, desire of the French population when World War One broke out to get back as I said no and there's a, a French popular French song that's about that, that too and um, yeah so uh, Charles um, was uh, incorporated in the army in 1917 by towards the end of the war and uh, you know like uh, almost 400,000 people, soldiers from Alsace and Lorraine, he had to fight uh, against the, the French side, yeah. And it seems like much of his writings were, were focused on the Alsatian identity and what it, what it meant, how he was interpreting the events of the war, how he related uh, to others um, that he was posted with, how he related to his commanding officer who also mm. um, was Alsatian. Um, and and what do you think, um, I mean, if you're just speculating now, several generations away from, from this period of history, um, what, what do you think that the, this identity um, meant for him in how he interpreted the war? Hmm. Um, I think his identity for like, like probably most of the people who lived in those annexed regions was very complex because like I said, the generation of his grandparents was French. They fought and they lost against the Prussians. Uh, and so when he, he was born in 1871, that's about 30 years, uh, he was born in 1898, so about 30 years after the annexation in 1871. So uh, that's not a lot in terms of the transmission of memories, of culture, of identity. Um, and he was born in, in a small village um, near the French border. So there was also this, uh, this bond that was probably stronger than in other areas of uh, Alsace and Lorraine. But his sister lived in France. She married a Frenchman before the war. Uh, and as he tells the professor in the book, he, he explains that in the villages where he lived, um, uh, they, for instance, they celebrated secretly the 14th of July, which is uh, France National Day. So there was this, this strong, um, you know, this strong bond with with, with friends, and um, there's also a part in the book where he he writes that the professor asks him about his um, level of education, and he said, "I only had a certificate of elementary primary education, an incomplete German, and a tolerable French to my name." Mm -hmm. And uh, I think language is a big part of his identity struggle in the book. Um, you know, it starts with his name in, in French. He's called Charles. In, in German, he's Karl. And um, in some part of the book, when he's questioned by the disciplinary committee, they accuse him of speaking French uh, with others of your kind. And he tells the committee, "That's my mother tongue. My parents spoke French and German. That was the right that was given to us." But um, of course, it's uh, seen as suspicious by the army. And then in long, when he first meets Isabel, she's surprised by how well he speak, speaks French and he tells her something that could have gotten killed if uh, anyone in the army had heard him, but he says, don't be mistaken, young lady, I could be one of you if only I swapped my gray uniform for a sky blue one. And so obviously his, his art was French and he was 
part of both worlds without ever really belonging to, to either of them. Um, because the soldiers from Alsace and Lorraine, they were not trusted by the Germans to, to fight against the French initially. Those soldiers, they were sent to the Russian front at the beginning of the war. But then by the, by the end, they, they had to be mobilized on the Western Front. So there was distrust um, from the German side. But even after the war, that identity was still um, complicated because when Alsace and Lorraine went back to being French territories, all these men that but on the other side, went back to being French and there was still um, resentment and some mistrust from the French population, even though they, the, the French population wanted Alsace and Lorraine to, to come back. But once it was done, you know, there was this complicated um, you know, relationship between the two. So, so I think that's also why uh, not, much, uh, not much had been written about that experience. And that's also what, what we wanted to accomplish with the book to, to talk about that, those complexities. Have you ever read another book uh, about an Alsatian soldier uh, during this period of, of the First World War? No, no, I um, um, there might be some, but I've never, yeah, I've never been, I don't think I've ever been taught, you know, as a, you know, going to school, I don't think I've ever been taught about that experience. And uh, I don't think there's, you know, I don't think there's many books that talk about that experience. Was that a motivation uh, for your your mother and your family um, to publish the book? Is the is the lack of literature uh, from the perspective of the Alsatian soldiers, or was it more about the personal story of Charles um, as a as an individual soldier? I think it was a bit of, of both things because in the idea came about in two thousand eighteen um, because there was all those testimonies and remembrance events around the, the 100 years since the end of World War One, And um, my parents felt like uh, the experience of the soldiers like Charles um, wasn't given any voice. Uh, and uh, like I said, that there's very little that is taught in, in French schools or history manuals about that. And it's 380,000 men that in that war and that you know were from Alsace and Lorraine and had, had the complicated relationship with being in the German army having to to fight and then having to, to be reincorporated into the, the French population and then um, so my parents felt like Charles' story had a lot to offer um, when it came to understanding that time period and teaching about those soldiers experience so that's what really motivated them to start the pro project of publishing the book um, by themselves. And also my mom's mother, uh, Colette, um, Charles' daughter, she had re recently passed away. And so this project was also a way of honoring her and Charles. And uh, so that's how they embarked on this journey of working on consolidating uh, Charles' writings, on editing them. They created a structured book with, cha with chapters. They did a lot of fact-checking as well. And, um, and so, yeah, that's how they finally published the book in February 2019. They got the first uh, copies printed, and then there was a lot of things left to be uncovered and that was the whole story of Isabel and then the translation into other languages. So yeah, it's still a, an ongoing project. <laughs> For you who did not know your great-grandfather, Charles, um, it must have been, um, I don't, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I, I think it, it must have been interesting in some very unique way when, to translate the book as well, to get to know him in a 
way that you never did know him um, mm. and what was that like for you? It was really interesting because I I heard my mom talk about her grandparents growing up and you know some memories that she had of them, but I only had a vague idea of who he must have been like, um, and I didn't really have any expectation when I started the book. I didn't necessarily expect to like it as a book standing on its own, but um, I, I was really pulled into the story from the start. Um, I really loved his writing. Uh, there's really, to me, many beautiful sentences and moments in there, and um, I did my best to hopefully not lose that in the translation. And um, obviously, there's a lot of the book that is uh, heartbreaking, um, um, but I also found him to be quite funny, <laughs> both in how he behaved back then and the way he relates those events as a, an old man writing about that time. And uh, he, I think he had a sort of very cut and dry sort of humor and uh, I really like that and I found him to be clever and uh, insightful and um, sensitive and just someone that was um, kind and brave in a time where the world was very unkind and very scary. So I felt like I would have really liked him, which is a pretty neat thing to, to know about your great grandfather and uh, it's also strange to read about him. Like he, in that book, he's younger than I was when I first read it. So it's, a, it's quite a funny experience, but yeah, I think I, I would have really liked him. <laughs> I think so too. I think that that's what makes the book also very unique is that he's, he's very likable. A, a humble man who writes quite simply and yet profoundly about the events and the people uh, and the state of the world that he finds himself in not having thought that he would be a soldier in these circumstances. When we met before, I remember your parents talking about that they, uh, they stayed in a place that was um, either on across the street or right next door to where Isabel and, and her uncle and son had lived during the war and how serendipitous, serendipitous it was that this occurred while they were searching for her. Yes, yes, they're not here to, to confirm, but I think it was, yeah, it was on the same side of the street. So they booked a place in a hotel to, to stay there for a few days and um, uh, and then was retracing, um, you know, the, the, the streets and, you know, Charles, um, his walks in the city, they were able to, to match uh, the streets of Isabel's house to the house for the, the, the street where they were staying at the hotel. And anyway, it was just a few numbers uh, down the, the same street, yeah. I love the, the uh, description in the book. There are a couple of places where Charles talks about being in the cathedral and where he also had some he saw Isabel there and he maybe his love for her deepened inside the cathedral. And I've been in the cathedral a couple of times and I was really trying to imagine the exact pew where they were sitting and what he, what he must have been thinking. Um, it's quite vivid imagery, just thinking about, um, I think he talked about the sun coming in in the stained glass or somehow the light was, was reaching her in a certain way. And, and I'm wondering about, uh, this this um, devotion did he carry this with him um, for the rest of the, I, I should say religious devotion he seemed mm. like quite a devout uh, young man was this part of his his life for the rest of his life yeah so um, so according to my mother he 
like his children, his children were baptized. There, there were crosses uh, in the house. He, he was a Catholic, but she doesn't um, necessarily remember him going to church or, or you know just talking about religion in that way. So I think his relationship with um, you know God and religion was probably you know quite a personal one. And uh, he, he talks about about it a lot in the book, but. Um, yeah, maybe it wasn't necessarily something that he felt the need to talk about. Um, yeah. And certainly the context of the war may have, uh, while both maybe he found being inside the cathedral a bit of a refuge from this destruction that was happening outside, and then also I can imagine he may have had some questions about his faith, um, as many soldiers do and people who've gone through war um, sort of question um, the, these bigger uh, issues around God and um, humanity. So that makes sense. Do you want to say any more about why, you, why the book was published at this point? Uh, I mean, you said out of 2018, um, the centenary was happening um, and there were not stories of Alsatian soldiers that were mm -hmm. were widely known or known at all, if, if mm -hmm. any were had been published. And so is this was this the primary impetus for for the timing of the book? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was um, this idea that we had, um, you know, we were lucky enough to have this testimony uh, of yes, uh, our family member, but also something that had um, some historical interest and uh, not only in the way he described the battle, but also in this you know, personal struggle that he uh, was living through. And like I said, that wasn't really talked about and that there wasn't any voice to really represent that, uh, that struggle, which is something that's you know, important in the, the French, French history. And there's still a lot of remnants in that in also in the, the regions of Alsace and Lorraine. That's the fact that they used to be incorporated into the German empire. There are still some remnants, remnants of that uh, in those regions. There, there are still some laws that are still in place because they, 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 there were laws that were passed at the time when they were in the German empire and they, they, they they've kept them. So um, yeah, this was this, this idea that we, by doing that, we could both honor the, this um, will that Charles had to to share the, the, those memoirs and um, yeah, share something with the world, well, I mean, not on our small level, but share something with um, other people that could be interested in that time period. And um, yeah, that's also why we translated the book afterwards. It's been translated into English and German from the original French. Uh, is that so people, uh, well, I'll let you explain why that hmm. Why, why so, that yeah, yeah. So French was the, the, the obvious language that the, the language that the, the, the book was initially written in. Um, but then there, there were a lot of people who were asking about an English version whenever um, like my, my dad promoted, promoted it a lot in um, Facebook groups uh, that were about uh, World War One, and there were a lot of people asking about an English version. And so, of course, the English language is a great way to, to make it accessible um, to a lot of people. And it was also a way to um, so allow more people to read the book, but also to be in line with what Charles wanted, because at the end uh, of the book, he says uh, that this book aspires to respect the patriotism of each of his soldiers, uh, made this book remind us that of what this war was like in order to strengthen the bonds 
uh, of solidarity between every soldier who fought with dignity for their country, whatever their occupations and their origins. And that's also one of the big messages of um, that book that, um, you know, there are a lot of those soldiers that were just um, lost in this, um, something that was much bigger than them and that was quite senseless. And um, and many of them, they did their best to abide by, by the uh, duty. And um, uh, yeah, so that's you know, translated in English and in German. That's also a way to make sure that that message can be heard. And um, and of course, there's a part, part of the book um, that's about the Battle of Bellowood. And um, so translating it in English um, allowed it to, to, to reach people like you um, who might be interested from, and uh, yeah, obviously from the, from the US who might be interested in, in that historical event. It's a quite a significant undertaking to self-publish a book um, in this way. Uh, can you say a little bit about what that process was like for your family? Um, yeah, so that was at first, um, before even thinking about finding a way to get it published and get it printed, there was all this um, work of, like I mentioned, trying to structure the book, doing the, the proofreading, the editing, the, the fact-checking. And um, that's also uh, part of the reason why it took so long to get published is that you know, for a long time, um, my parents thought, well, you know, we're never going to find a way to get this out there. We would need a publisher to be interested in the book. And you know, that, that seemed like um, kind of an impossible feat. Um, but nowadays there are, there are uh, ways to, to publish uh, by, by yourself. And um, so, yeah, that's, uh, it was initially, it, it became um, uh, with with Amazon, that's now that's how uh, it's becoming available because they have this uh, this, this uh, services that allow you to just uh, you know give out your book and they print it, print it for you and they ship it whatever wherever in the world um, and uh, uh, yeah and um, that. That was that was quite in the end quite a simple process. Of course, there's, there was a lot to to be to be done to make it possible. But um, now that it's available, you can find it everywhere, which is you know, quite uh, amazing. That that's possible that uh, you could uh, receive it in, in the US. There are people in Australia. There are people you know everywhere around the world that have um, that have bought it and received it and read it. And uh, it's been. You know, we've, we've sold quite a few, quite a few books, and so yeah, that's uh, that's also a bit thrilling on the just on a personal level to say, yeah, we've, we've been well, mostly my parents. I don't want to take credit for that, but we've been able to you know put this together, and uh, it's been quite a success on our elite level. Yeah. Uh, how do you have um, any ideas about uh, about the the future of the book I, I mean i can really see that this would be very beneficial for for school children um, at various levels of education to read as part of the curriculum have you had ideas about about how that might happen or is it um, you're done with the book you're translating it and you're putting it out there for people to buy oh no i think well um my dad is um, kind of the driving force behind this this book. I think he's, he he's made it his mission to to try to you know find you know the creative ways to to put it out there and to to 
to allow people that could be interested by the book to to hear about the book. So yeah, it, I mean, it would of course be amazing if that book could be studied somewhere by, by some school children. And um, I think there's still a lot of ways that we can try to and make it available and make it known. So no, I, I don't think <laughs> it's over yet. I think there's still a lot of uh, of uh, things that uh, my parents want to wants to do with with it if they can. I think because of the personal nature of of Charles's writing uh, in much of it, and then of course your parents uh, as they trace Isabel's uh, footsteps uh, in in Leon, it would be a wonderful audiobook. Oh, that's yeah that's that's uh i never never thought about that but uh that's true it, that that could be interesting we would need to find someone with a good audiobook voice <laughs> to do it well because it's in first person uh you know i true. think it would yeah. be so nice to hear this i can think of i mean and it's a it's a very pleasant uh book yeah. to to read i i think it would also be pleasant to listen to as well yeah, that's a really yeah, that's a really interesting suggestion. I have to relay that. <laughs> I think I can see that your father would become quite excited about this. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think he's gonna like this idea a lot. <laughs> um, we I I heard that the that we can find this book on Amazon. That's where I found it. Um, and we're going to include all of the links um for for all of the Amazon sites. Um. In, in in the episode description are there other places where the book can be found um it yeah mostly on, on amazon was on in the hard copy and uh, on kindle and um and the french version is available in a lot of bookstores um but uh, yeah amazon is probably the, the easiest easiest way to find it uh, well, thank you so much for talking about the book Between the Lines. It's, it's, uh, it's a fantastic book uh, that gives insight into the life of an average soldier, as you said, who was caught up in events that were much bigger than his control and even his intentions for his own life. And he lived through this uh, and wrote about it and wrote about it very beautifully and, and fell in love in the middle of it. And it's, it's, uh, such a, a nice kind of heartwarming story as well about how we can find the good in people um, and other humans, um, even in, in this, this terrible destruction that was going on around. Thank you. I, I think you, you've, you've talked about the book beautifully as well. And um, that's all we intended to achieve with, with this book and uh, with this translation. And, um, it's been a pleasure to, to talk to you and, uh, and uh, yeah, thank you for being interested in the book and for your, your suggestion as well. That's, uh, <laughs> we'll have to let you know if that, yes, if that I, ever I will happens. listen to it if, it if it happens. Thank you for listening to Meaningful Journeys. This program is supported in part by Antioch University New England and the Meaningful Life Institute. We would love to connect with you on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter and Facebook, or by email, info at MeaningfulJourneys.net or our website, www.MeaningfulJourneys.net. We hope you will join us next time on our shared quest for meaning as we connect humanity one step at a time.